chapter fifty one of a woman's experiences in the great war by louise mack this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fifty one a lucky meeting to meet someone you know at the front is an experiment in psychology deeply interesting amusing sometimes and often strangely illuminative indeed you never really know people till you meet them under the sound of guns it is at furne that i meet accidentally a very eminent journalist and a very well-known author suddenly up drives a funny old car with all its windows broken clatter clatter over the age-old cobbled streets of furne and the car comes to a stop before the ancient little flemish inn out jump four men hastening like schoolboys up the steps they come bursting breezily into the room where i have just finished luncheon i look they look we all look one of them with a bright smile comes forward how do you do says he he is a chauffeur if you please the chauffeur in the big golden brown overcoat with a golden brown hood over his head he looks like a monk till you see his face then he is all brightness and sharpness and alertness for in truth he is england's most famous war photographer this young man in the cowl with the hatchet profile and dancing green eyes and we last saw each other in the agony of the bombardment of antwerp and then i look over his shoulder and see another face i can scarcely believe my eyes here at the world's end as near the front as any one can get driving about in that old car with the broken windows is our eminent journalist in baggy grey knee-breeches and laced-up boots having a look round says the journalist simply seeing things for myself a bit how splendid well to tell you the truth i can't keep away i've been out before but never so near as this the sordidness and suffering of it all makes me feel i simply can't stay quietly over there in london i want to see for myself how things are going then dropping the subject of himself swiftly but easily the journalist begins courteously to ask questions what am i doing here where have i come from where am i going well at the present moment i answer i'm trying to get to la panne i want to see the queen of the belgians waiting for the king and walking there on the yellow dreamy sands by the north sea but the tram isn't running any longer and the roads are bad to-day very bad indeed all in an instant the journalistic instinct is alive in him and crying i watch fascinated i can see him seeing that picture of pictures the sweet queen walking on the lonely winter sands waiting for her hero to come back from the battlefields just over there let us take you in our car what are we doing where were we going anyway it doesn't matter we'll take the car to la panne and after luncheon off we go every now and then i turn the corner of my eye on the man beside me as he sits there hunched up in a heavy coat with a big cigar between his babyish lips talking talking and what is so glorious about it all is that this isn't the journalist talking it is the idealist the practical dreamer who by sheer belief in his ideals has won his way to the top of his profession i see a face that is one of the most curiously fascinating in europe a veiled face but with its veil for ever shifting for ever lifting for ever letting you get a glimpse of the man behind power and will are sunk deep within the outer veil and when you look at him at first you say to yourself what a nice big boy of a man for those lips are almost babyish in their curves the lips of a man who would drink the cold pure water of life in preference to its colour vintages the lips of an idealist 
who but an idealist could keep a childish mouth through the intense worldliness of the battle for life as this man has fought it right from the very beginning over the broad thoughtful brow flops a lock of brown hair every now and then his eyes are grey with blue in them when you look at them they look straight at you but it is not a piercing glance it seems like a glance from far away all kinds of swift flashing thoughts and impulses go sweeping over those eyes and what they don't see is really not worth seeing though when i come to think of it i cannot recall catching them looking at anything as far as faces go this is a fine face decidedly a fine arresting face sympathetic likable and the strong well-made physique of a frame looks as if it could carry great physical burdens though more exercise would probably do it good above and beyond everything he looks young this man young with a youth that will never desert him as though he holds within himself the secrets of ever-recurring spring on we fly we are right inside the belgian lines now the belgian soldiers are all around us brave wonderful petty belges they always speak of themselves like that the belgian army le petit belges perhaps the fact that they have proved themselves heroes of an immortality that every race will love and bow down to in ages to come makes these blue-coated men thus lightly refer to themselves with that inimitable flash of the belgian smile as little belgians for never before was the belgian army greater than it is to-day with its numbers depleted its territory wrested from it its homes ruined its loved ones scattered far and wide in strange lands like john brown's army it still goes fighting on though many of its uniforms battered and stained with the blood and mud and powder of one campaign after another are so ragged as to be almost in pieces we are no longer chic a belgian captain says it with a grin as he chats to us at a halt where we show our passes he flaps his hands in his pockets of his ragged overcoat and smiles in a way it is true their uniforms are ragged stained burnt torn too big too little full of a hundred pitiful little discrepancies that peep out under those brand-new overcoats that some of them are lucky enough to have obtained they have been fighting since the beginning of the war they have left bits of their purple-blue tunics at liege namur charleroi ayrshot termond antwerp they have lost home territory family friends but they are fighting harder than ever and so gloriously uplifted are they by the immortal honour they have wrested from destiny that they can look at their ragged trousers with a grin and love them and their torn burnt blackened tunics even as a conqueror loves the emblems of his glory that will never pale upon the pages of history a soldier loosens a bandage with his teeth and breaks into a song it is so gay so naive so insouciant so truly and deliciously belge that i catch it ere it fades that mocking song addressed to the kaiser asking in horror who are these ragged beings note by reader here louise mack inserts the french lyrics to the comic soldier's song the belgian to the german translation by reader the belgian to the german they do not have your beautiful tunic and they do not have your beautiful air but courage is magnificent if they do not have your beautiful tunic to your cockiness they thumb their nose even in the middle of their greatest defeat if they do not have your beautiful tunic and they do not have your beautiful air
what those poor fellows want most says the journalist as we flash onwards is boots they want one hundred thousand boots the belgian army you can give a friend all sorts of things but he hardly likes it if you venture to give him boots and yet they want them these poor splendid belgians they want them and they must have them we must give them to them somehow lots of them have no boots at all i heard that the belgians were getting boots from america the author puts in suddenly the journalist turns his head with a jerk what do you mean he asks sharply do you mean that they have ordered them from america or that america's giving them i believe what my informant a sick officer in the belgian army whom i visited this morning told me was that the americans were giving the boots are you sure it's giving the journalist persists we english ought to see to that last night i had an interview with the belgian minister of war and i tried to get on this subject of boots but somehow i felt it was intrusive of me i don't know it's a delicate thing it wants handling yet they must have the boots and i fancy they will get them the heroes of belgium i think they will get their hundred thousand boots then a whiff of the sea reaches us and the grey waves of the north sea stretch out before us over the edge of the endless yellow sands where bronze-faced turcos are galloping their beautiful horses up and down we are in la Panne. the journalist sits still in his corner of the car not fussing not questioning leaving it all to me this is my show it is i who have come here to see the gracious queen on the sands all the part he plays in it is to bring me so the journalist and the author and the others remain in the car that is infinitely considerate exquisitely so indeed for no writer on earth would care to go looking around with the jupiter of journalists at her elbow rush rush we are on our way back now the cold wind of wet flat flanders strikes at us as we fly along it hits us in the face and on the back it flicks us by the ear and by the throat the window behind us is open the window to right and the window to left are open too all the windows are open because as i said before they are all broken in fact there are no windows they've all been smashed out of existence there are only holes we were under shell-fire this morning observes the journalist contentedly then truthfully he adds i don't like shrapnel any woman who reads this will know how i felt in my pride when a malicious wind whisked my fur right off my shoulders and flung it through the back window far on the road behind if it hadn't been sable i would have let it go out of sheer humiliation but instead after a moment's fierce struggle remembering all the wardrobe i had already lost in antwerp i whispered gustily my stole is blown right out of the window how did i hope the journalist would not be cross for we were racing back then against time without lights and it was highly important to get off these crowded roads with the soldiers coming and going coming and going before night fell cross indeed i needn't have worried absence of fuss was as i decided later the most salient point about this man in fact his whole desire seemed to make himself into an entire non-entity he never asserted himself he never interfered he never made any suggestions he just sat quiet and calm in his corner of the car puffing away at his big cigar another curious thing about him was the way in which this man used to bossing organizing suggesting commanding fell into his part which was by force of circumstances a very minor one he was incognito he was not the eminent journalist at all he was just an eager man out looking at a war he was there in a manner of speaking on sufferance 
for in war time civilians are not wanted at the front and nobody recognized this more acutely than the man with the cigar between his lips and the short grey knee-breeches showing sturdy legs in their dark grey stockings and thick laced-up boots the impression he gave me was of understanding absolutely the whole situation and of a curiously technical comprehension of the wee little tiny part that he could be allowed to play where are you staying in dunkirk he asked in a room over a milliner's shop the town's full i couldn't get in anywhere else then will you dine with us to-night at half-past seven at the hotel des arcades i should love to and we ran into dunkirk and the lights flashed around me in that extraordinary whirl of officers and men moving up and down the cobbled streets struck at us afresh and we saw the sombre khaki of englishmen and the blue and red of the belgian and the varied uniforms and scarlet trousers of the pupu and the absolute indescribable life and thrill in crowding of dunkirk in these days when the armies of three nations move surging up and down the narrow streets at seven-thirty i went up the wide staircase of the hotel des arcades in the grand place of dunkirk quite a beautiful and splendid hotel though innumerable taubes had sailed over it threatening to deface it with their ugly little bombs but luckily without success so far very luckily indeed considering that every day at lunch or dinner some poor worn-out belgian officer came in there to get a meal precisely half-past seven and there hastening towards me was our host he had not dressed as we say in england he had merely exchanged the short grey norfolk knickerbockers for long trousers and the morning coat for a short dark blue serge his eyes were sparkling there's a belgian here whom i want you to meet he said in his boyish manner that admirably concealed the power of this man that one was forever forgetting in his presence only to remember it all the more acutely when one thought of him afterwards it's the chief of the belgian medical department he's quite a wonderful man and we went in to dinner the journalist arranged the table it was rather an awkward one numerically and i was interested to see how he would come out of the problematic affair of four men and one woman but with one swift wave of his hand he assigned us to our places he sat on one side of the table with the head of the belgian medical corps at his right i sat opposite to him and the author sat on my left and the other man who had something to do with boy scouts on his left and there we all were and a more delightful dinner could not be imagined for in a way it was exciting through the very fact of being eaten in a city that the germans only the day before had pelted with twenty bombs personalities come more clearly into evidence at dinner than at any other time and so i was interested to see how the journalist played his part of host what would he be like there are so many different kinds of hosts would he be the all-seeing all-reaching all-divining kind the kind that knows all you want and ought to want and sees that you get it the kind that says always the right thing at the right moment and keeps his party alive with his sally of wit and gaiety and bonhomie and makes everyone feel that they are having the time of their lives no one quickly discovered that the journalist was not at all that kind of host at dinner where some men become bright and gay and inconsequential this man became serious the food part of the affair bored him watching him and studying him with that inner eye that makes the bliss of solitude one saw that he didn't care a bit about food and still less about wine it wouldn't have mattered to him how bad the dinner was he wouldn't know he couldn't think about it for he was something more than your bon viveur and your social animal 
this man with his wide grey eyes and the flopping lock on his broad forehead he was the dreamer of dreams as well as the journalist and at dinner he dreamed oh yes indeed he dreamed tremendously it was all the same to him whether or not he ate pate de foie gras or fowl boue or sausage he was wrapped in his discussion with the belgian doctor on his right anaesthetics and antiseptics that's what they are talking about so hard and suddenly out comes a piece of paper the journalist wants to send a telegram to england i'm going to try and get dr x to come out here he's a very clever chap he can go into the thing thoroughly it's important it must be gone into and there on the white cloth scribbled on the back of a menu he writes out his telegram but then says the journalist reflectively if i sign that the censor will hold it up for three days the head of the belgian medical department smiles he knows what that telegram would mean to the belgian army let me sign it he says in a gentle voice let me sign it and send it my telegrams are not censored and your english doctor will meet us at calais to-morrow and all will be well with your magnificent idea just then the author on the left appears a trifle uneasy he holds up an empty burgundy bottle towards the light a dead end he announces distinctly but our host in his abstraction does not hear the author picks up the other bottle holds it to the light screws up one eye at it and places it lengthwise on the table that's a dead one too he says just then with great good luck he manages to catch the journalist's grey eye that's a dead one too he repeats loudly how exciting to see whether the author in his quite natural desire to have a little more wine will succeed in penetrating his host's dreaminess and absorption in the anaesthetics of the belgian army and then all of a sudden the journalist wakes up would you like some more wine he inquires these are both dead ends asserts the author courageously we'll have some more says the journalist and more burgundy comes but to the eminent journalist it is non-existent for his mind is still filled with a hundred thousand things the belgian army wants the iodine they need and the anaesthetics and nothing else exists for him at that moment but to do what he can for the nation that has laid down its life for england burgundy indeed and yet one feels glad that the author eventually gets his extra bottle he has done something for england too he has given us laughter when our days were very black and our soldiers love his yarns end of chapter fifty one Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.